Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Welcome to the Loma Linda University Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by the message. Sons and daughters of the living God, happy Sabbath. Thank you. Today we continue our series which Joey began last week. And today we speak about how God can heal us from isolation and also in isolation. But to get into that, we're going to begin with a story of a Scotsman dropped in a forgotten spot in the middle of the ocean. His name is Alexander Silkirk, and he was sailing with British privateers in the 1700s. And as Scotsmen sometimes are prone to be, he was very independently minded, was not a fan of authority, and was not interested in cooperating with the endeavors of the wider British Empire. And so there came a point on the journey where Alexander began a debate with his captain, and he said to his captain, listen, I don't think the boat's gonna make the next leg of the journey. It is a worm-infested boat that's about to fall apart. We shouldn't go. And the captain began debating with Alexander, and the debate became so fierce that eventually Alexander said, listen, I would prefer to be dropped off on this island right here, the Juan Fernandez Archipelago there in South America. And so the captain said, sure, we can do that. He got together a musket, a pot, some bedding, some clothing, a knife, and a Bible, and promptly left Alexander there on the shore. At that point, Alexander said, listen, I've been a little brash. I I might actually come with you. But the captain said, no, (laughs) I'm sick of this, I've had enough, and the captain sailed off. Now, the captain went on as he did. They were essentially chasing the Spanish and their trade up and down the coast. But Alexander was actually correct. (laughs) The boat that had been on sailed off and then promptly disintegrated. (laughs) The captain and the men, a few of them survived, but they were promptly captured by the Spanish and tortured. (laughs) But Alexander was there, left on this island, alone, isolated, by himself, not sure if he had made the correct decision. Can you imagine, though, sitting there with the stars above you but no human souls around you? The isolation would have been intense. 
We will come back to our Scotsman in the middle of the ocean. But first turn with me to Luke chapter 5, verse 12. Luke chapter 5, verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, Jesus, beheld there was a man covered with leprosy. The Levitical laws on leprosy are clear. Leviticus 13.45 states that anybody who has leprosy must cry out, unclean, unclean. It's very interesting. They also had dress standards. If you had leprosy, you had to leave your hair uncut, wore torn clothing, and cover the lower portion of your face. Just before we go any further, I would just like to point out that during this pandemic, inadvertently, I have been keeping the Levitical standards of dress with my unkept hair and my torn jeans I've been wearing around campus here. But as you keep those standards, you must also live outside of the camp alone by yourself. And everywhere you go, you must declare yourself unclean. The Talmud, in fact, actually takes it further, the oral traditions associated with the Old Testament. And they said that depending on the direction of the breeze, a person who was unclean with leprosy had to stay a hundred cubits away from somebody who was clean. A hundred cubits is 50 meters. If you want the American, you can do the conversion yourself. And so this man had to stay a significant distance from anyone, but further than that, the Talmud said that if you were clean and somebody who was unclean came into your presence, you had the right to pick up stones and use deadly force to protect yourself. And so here is this man living in isolation, alone, with his body decaying beneath him. His family and friends are not able to attend to him. He's alone. He's isolated. We fear isolation. We do. Dr. Kurt Thompson, in a recent presentation to the Veritas Forum, a forum that is dedicated to bringing faith to university campuses, and they do it very, very well answering contemporary questions of faith. He is a psychiatrist and a well-published author, and he was presenting on the topic of inner wholeness beyond isolation. And he said this. He said, listen, at the root of all human fears is this fear of isolation. We are terrified that someone is gonna come to us and say, listen, go away. We don't want you. We don't want you around us. We don't care about you. Nobody is coming to look for you. Be gone. And he's right. We all fear isolation. I fear isolation. As a minister, uh, I get worried every time I have to preach. I do. And this, this is my fear. My fear is that my sermon will be so bad that people were closer to Jesus before the sermon was shared than at the end of the sermon. But I also, I feel the fear of embarrassing myself publicly. I have listened to every sermon that has been preached in this church for the past 16 years. 
And today it is a humbling honor to be able to speak here as well, but it is also mostly terrifying. <laughs> so nervous I could lay an egg. <laughs> Because my fear is, is that I will embarrass myself so sufficiently that at the end of this, the best thing for me to do will be to go home and hide myself and lock myself in my cupboard and never come out ever again. <sighs> we as humans, we fear isolation and we relate to it and we know it. Perhaps you remember that moment when you're attending a school for the first time and you go and you see the playground and you, you don't know who your friend is going to be. Or maybe perhaps... This is a uniquely new one, but perhaps you're a mother and you're at home with your newborn. You know, throughout all of history, we have never treated mothers as we do these days. Throughout all of history, mothers have been surrounded by aunts and sisters, their own mothers, grandmothers, an entire community of people around them, surrounding them, with them, helping them raise their children. Never before in history have we left mothers alone with newborns inside four walls by themselves feeling isolated with only blog posts to read on mothering. Perhaps in your work you are beginning to feel isolated. You might feel that the skill set or the knowledge set that you've developed, well, it's becoming obsolete. Maybe you've been through a divorce, the absolute heartbreak of that moment, where in a divorce you have to divide your friends and choose your places. And you go home and you spend too much time sitting by yourself. We do, we fear isolation. And so this man that lives in isolation, oh, he comes to Jesus. And this is how the story says he comes. He comes to Jesus and he sees Jesus. And he falls on his face before him. As we get into this story, first of all, there is a quick point here. We are not given his name. This man is, is not identified to us in the scriptures, and even worse, as he approaches Jesus, he cannot call out his name. He has to call out his issue. He has to announce himself as unclean. We're not given his name because his issues have subsumed his identity. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like your personal issues have subsumed your identity? Do you ever feel like they enter the room before you do? Oh, I lost my husband and now, now I am a widow, and that's all anybody else knows me as. This man, we are not given his name, but the story gets good because the one without a name is about to enter into the presence of the one whose name is above all names. And that tells us that Jesus' name is above our isolation. Jesus' name is above our issues. Jesus is more powerful than our issues. And so this man comes into the presence of Jesus. But he does it all wrong. He does all the religious things wrong. He comes into the presence and the story tells us that he is close enough for Jesus to touch him. It's not how it's meant to go. You can imagine that moment, though, where as he, a leper, comes within the 50 cubits, the 50-meter distance from Jesus, and there he sees a holy man, and he stops, and he thinks to himself, listen, if I enter into the presence of that holy man, he has the right to reject me. 
He has the right to stone me. His disciples there are looking pretty jumpy. And he finds himself asking himself, is it worth it kind to come into the presence of this holy man? Because the last time he was in the presence of a holy man, he was in the presence of a priest. And the priest was saying to him, go, you are unclean, go. The only way you can protect anyone now is to leave. You must head out into the wilderness. You are unclean. In those days, they didn't have modern germ theory. The language was all communal and religious and moral. He feels himself unclean, and the last time he was in the presence of a holy man, he was walking away from that holy man, wondering, what have I done to God to deserve this? Why must I go to such isolation? But now he sees another holy man, and he thinks maybe this time it's different. Because see, I have heard that Jesus has been standing up in like synagogues and telling the Pharisees to sit down. I have heard that this is God incarnate. He treats people different. I'm scared to enter into his presence, but the risk of pursuing his presence, well, the promise of community is worth it. And so he begins those tentative steps into the presence of Jesus. And so, church, this is, this is my first teaching point here for us. The promise of community is worth the risk to enter into it. I know many of you, you might feel like you have been on the outside of community. And those first steps to restoring community, to enter into new community, they're dangerous. They're nervous steps, because you fear that you might be rejected. But this is the promise, the promise of community is worth the risk. An example that you might be able to relate to here on a university campus. You're there in the cafeteria, and you take your tray, and you see the tables, and you're looking for a place to sit, and you don't know anyone. It's scary, it is. And the longer you stand there, the more you panic. So eventually you see a space and you sit down and you hope the people that you sit with will be friendly, that they will receive you well. And it's true, it's risky. They might ignore you. But also, they might be your new friends. Entering into community, taking those steps when you're on the outside, it feels so, so scary, but can I promise you, it it is worth it. And can I encourage you, take those steps time and time again, because you never know what may happen. You might be the answer to somebody else's prayer for community. You really might be. I have a good friend, she works in the social services of the Australian government there in Melbourne. And she works in a system that is very carefully thought out and very effective, and I'm very proud of it. And she works as a social service worker, and she received a phone call from an individual one day. And the individual called her up, and he said, listen, I I, I have no one. My kids have moved to the mainland. He was calling from Tasmania. My wife has passed. I'm feeling suicidal. 
And so in a moment of inspiration, she Googled the area that he was in, and she saw that he wasn't too far away from a model railway club. <laughs> and so she called up the club and said, when are you meeting next? He got the details, and then she called him back, and she said, listen, can you just do one thing for me? Can you just go to the model railway club? And he did. <laughs> And now he calls her every year on her birthday and sends her little model railway trains. It's just the sweetest thing. Entering into community is risky, but please try. Try and try again. Join a club, volunteer at church, teach Sabbath school, invite people over for lunch. It might always go the way that you think it will, but sometimes it'll work and it will be worth it. So the man comes to Jesus, and there he is in Jesus' presence. He has taken the risk to be near to Jesus, and when he comes to Jesus, he falls on his face and implores him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. That moment there as he walks into the presence of Jesus and falls at his feet. And Jesus reaches down and touches him. And Jesus says, I am willing, be clean. Jesus could have chosen any other way to heal this man. I mean, Jesus could have spoken it, he's done that before. But you can imagine that moment where that man has not been physically touched in years and he feels the weight of the Savior's hand on his shoulder and he says, I am willing. And then he feels his body come to strength beneath him. And he knows in that moment that he can be restored to community, that he can be restored to family. It's a beautiful moment. And he knows the truth. And the Savior is willing because the Savior knows this truth as well. We are built for community. We are built for the hug of our children. We are built to stand in concerts together. We are built to go and stand before beautiful artwork together. We are built to hug. We are built to have soup brought to us when we are sick. We are built to work together on complex problems. We are built for community. And the Savior says, I am willing. You can now go home to your people. Jesus is willing, and this is my second teaching point here this morning, church. If Jesus is willing to bring people in, even more to touch him, because this man was unclean, and Jesus being clean, when he touches someone who is unclean, traditionally that would make them both unclean, but in this circumstance, this is Jesus, and when Jesus touches that man, they both become clean. A gospel teaching here, when you come to Jesus unclean, when Jesus touches you, you are both clean, okay? We, though, as the church, when people come to us, if we are the body of Christ, we too must be willing to embrace and welcome and draw people into our community, okay? If that is who Jesus is, that is who we must be also. So many people come to church like the leper, though. They stand 50 feet from the door, and they, they're not sure if it's a safe place. 
They wonder if they come into church if they're gonna have to call out unclean, unclean on the way in. Or what's gonna be happening? They might scan me for a skin disease at the door and I'll be rejected. Or they might even scan me for a sin disease at the door and be rejected. But we, as the body of Christ, we must be the people who reach out and welcome and touch and bring in and embrace everyone. One of my favorite uh, stories on this, again, happened to a good friend of mine. She was looking for a church to join. She had multiple churches on offer there in the area. And she attended a different one each Sabbath day. The church she chose was, was for this reason. When she went to the door, there was a man there and he greeted her. And he spoke to her and her husband and he asked careful questions but without probing, he got to know them a little bit. And when he found a point of connection, having an encyclopedic knowledge of his own congregation, he said, yes, okay, let me introduce you to someone and immediately ran them through the church and plonked them down on a pew beside somebody else who had the same shared common interests as them. You're a nurse, I know some nurses. The next week they came back, you like baking, I know somebody who likes baking. And she chose her church because somebody reached out and embraced them and drew them in. We as the church, we must be intentional about doing that. We must be willing, we must be looking out for those on the margins, we must make space, we must act like Jesus does. And so, he is cleansed, and verse 14, he ordered him uh, to tell no one. (laughs) I love this text here. Jesus says, tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, just as Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Verse 15, but the news about him spread even further, (laughs) and large crowds were gathering to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. Somebody leaked, okay? (laughs) Jesus healed one person, don't tell anyone, Have you ever had that moment where you've told a secret to one person and everyone knows? And you're like, I I know where that came from. (laughs) The thing is though, Jesus, I mean, you can't surprise Jesus. Jesus knew this was going to happen. This man could not keep the news to himself. But what we see in there in the text is very interesting. Large crowds were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. And then 16, the text, it inverts, there's this strange contrast that suddenly occurs. Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness, though, and pray to the lonely places. See, what happens here is because Jesus has healed this man, the crowds start rushing towards him. They come seeking him. But what is popular for Jesus is not his purpose. And so Jesus has to withdraw into lonely places to protect his purpose. See, the purpose that Jesus had was to come and to die for our sins. 
He healed for compassion, but the crowds came chasing him, and so Jesus had to pull away from the pressing crowds and spend a moment in isolation to protect his purpose. We too, at points, need to seek out isolation to protect our purpose. Because if you never protect your purpose, you might spend your entire lives scrolling through what is popular, thinking that that is what you should be doing. There comes a point where you need to put down the phone and pursue intimacy and isolation with God. And you will be well served in that. We have just been through a pandemic and the effects are still going on around the world. And throughout this time, some of us have experienced too much isolation. Some of us have been at home too long by ourselves, but others haven't experienced any isolation at all. Perhaps you might be the mother and father both trying to work from home whilst trying to corral your students, your three children, through online school, stuck, never getting a moment by yourself. Just let me encourage you. It is important to protect your purpose in this life to find moments of solitude and to do what Jesus did in those moments, and that is to pray. But also let me say this, to those who felt like you have had too much isolation, let me simply ask you this. There might be a way to redeem that isolation by pursuing it for purpose. I know the hours can be long, but there might be a way to say, listen, in this isolation through prayer, I want to seek the presence of God. Jesus withdraws to lonely places. Church, we have a God who is interested in our welfare. We have a God who longs to restore us to community. We have a God who calls us as the church to reach out and be the hands and feet of Jesus to those who need it. And we have a God who understands the needs for isolation, the needs to step aside every now and again. We have a God who cares to restore us from isolation and a God who cares to restore us in isolation. Let's get back to the Scotsman. That was a fun story. (laughs) He was on the island by himself for four years and four months. That is a very long time. But it turns out he actually did quite well. On the island, there were goats and He actually was a tanner when he was younger, so he knew how to skin them and use their leather. And so he was actually eating quite well. There was fruit and berries on the island, and he was quite ingenious as well. Uh, There were rats on the island, but he managed to trap and tame some feral cats to protect himself from the rats while he was sleeping. Four years and four months later, The Duke, the boat was named as, captained by Woods Rogers, a very English name, finally pulled up to the shore. And when he saw it, the description that is given in Woods's captain's diary is this, and I I love it. He was incoherent with joy. In fact, he actually recalls later that he he had actually forgotten how to speak, mostly. (laughs) 
But the Duke's captain, he, he records more in his diary, and it's an amazing uh, recollection. He finds Alexander, this Scotsman there on the island, doing very well. And he notes his physical vigor. He says, listen, I pulled up with my boat, and half of my men had scurvy, and we were hungry, and yet Alexander was pulling down two to three goats a day and feeding us all of the fresh fruit on the island. And he served us very well, and he did. But what is interesting is that Woods notes in his captain's diary, and this is an amazing thing, he says, listen, the other thing that I realized about Alexander is that he had attained, while living on this island, a peace of mind that I had never seen before. He actually says, uh, one may see that solitude and retirement from the world is not such an insufferable state of life as most men imagine especially when people are fairly called or thrown into it unavoidably as this man was. Alexander was rescued and went home and became the inspiration for the novel Robinson Crusoe by Daniel Defoe. But I love that description of his state, incoherent with joy at the return to his community but there with a peace of mind that came from spending time alone with his Bible and God. We have a God who loves us. We have a God who wants to restore us from isolation, but also restore us in isolation. Find more podcasts, videos, church events, and how you can support the Loma Linda University Church at lluc.org.